think it's important to know that you know life's messy. And for me, and I, and I think I want everyone to understand this. That, you know, I think it's okay to be angry at God. I think it's okay to not know what God wants for you. I think it's okay to have those feelings. But I also think it's important to know that I really believe that He loves each and every one of us, and and I think that's pretty evident in the fact that. I'm still here today to have this conversation with you because that could have turned very sour very quickly. Welcome to Approach. Holding faith and holding space. The Approach podcast aims to create an open space for vulnerability. In doing this, this episode discusses themes of suicide and suicidal ideation. If this is something you are currently experiencing or have in the past, this episode may not be right for you, or you may need to listen to it with a trusted adult. Welcome to a new episode of the Approach Podcast. My name is Mandy, and I'm excited for you to join us and come hear a new story or another story uh, from one of my good friends. And this week, I have my buddy Jer, who's joined us. Hey, Jer. Hey, Mandy. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Oh, good. So glad that you could come. Uh, Jer and I have known each other for eight-ish years, we think. They're in about. Yeah. Um, we met at church. Um, but can you tell us what do you what do you do? Yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> currently, I I work in uh, a distribution uh, role. I'm I'm a manager for a large company in the Guelph area here. Um, I've done a lot of job changes over the years, but um, I've really found that I think managing people is what I do best, and it's not really something that you can go to school and take a course on. Hey, I'm going to take people management you know, level one or that sort of thing. Something you really have to sort of grow into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've moved a lot and, and I think I've really found a place that I like and I'm very happy where I'm at right now. I have a great group of people that work for me. Um, I, I try and garner as much respect from them as possible. I treat them like human beings and I think, I think that's super important in doing what I do. Um, for me, like things that I like to do that are fun, uh, I have a problem with board games. <laughs> I am a absolute board game fanatic. But it's cool because you've turned it into like a side hustle for yourself a little bit. Yeah, and 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 not a big side hustle, but um, yeah. So last year, uh, we did uh, myself and a, a group of friends. We did a a board game convention in Kitchener Waterloo, and we're gonna do it again this year. Yeah, and um, yeah, so. Um, and I, I have quite a lot of board games and it's... Do you know how many you... Yeah. You, what's the number? 114 in my in my living room right what? now. Yeah, I know. I I've know. seen pictures of the bookshelves covered in them, but yeah, I didn't yeah. know the number. That's yeah, yeah. a lot of board games. Uh, and I have another 14 on the way this year through <laughs> Kickstarters and that sort of thing, so... <laughs> And then I, so and you're funding it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty cool. much. It's, it, and you know, I think for me... I used to really enjoy video games and that sort of thing. And when I discovered board games, I really enjoyed the social aspect because you can sit down with people and and have a good time, enjoy the game, socially interact, whether you're hating someone because they're winning (laughs) or you're working together cooperatively and, you know, have a drink or two and and just have a good time. And it's just, it's very, it's a social aspect. It's very dynamic. And 
I think that's I think that really defines what kind of person I am is that that social aspect. Yeah, I was gonna say even in in your job, very social. In your off time, very social. And that's kind of always what I've known about you. I remember meeting you at at church and it was not hard to get to know you. Um, you were yeah, really bold and really friendly to come and just like kind of enter into the community and be known, which I think for some people, there's a lot of fear in doing that. So for, and for a number of different reasons, but it's just a natural part of, of Jair that I've appreciated over yeah, the years. And I, and I think that's, uh, I think it's really a, a testament to my, to my journey through discovering religion. Hmm. Um, my first foray into the whole organized religion concept was um, I was living on my own. Uh, I was about uh, 18, 17, 18. I was working for this gentleman and I felt like I really didn't have anything in my life. Like I was just, you know, working, going home, sleeping, eating, rent, wash, rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. And then, um, he he sort of approached me and he was he was Mormon. And uh I didn't know how I felt at first, but um What do you mean by approached you? Like knocked on your door kind of thing? No, no, I was working for him. Oh, okay. So he he asked me what I thought about organized religion. Yeah. And I said, I don't know where I really go. So he introduced me to um well the church refers to them with the the Church of Jesus Christ refers to them as his elders, mm-hmm. which are Mormon missionaries, and they Come and they have six meetings with you about the six different precepts of the Mormon church. And then you decide whether you're going to want to be baptized and that sort of thing. And that church was very welcoming. They were really like, oh, come on and, you know, let's let's get it going and let's get it on. And <clears throat> that was fine. And I joined because, again, I, I, my, I didn't, my relationship with my parents was not great. My relationship with my brother was not great. You know, I just, I had no one. And this was sort of a, an opening to have a family, relationship a family and, and, yeah community and, and then we come to that whole social aspect about who i am right but um so is that kind of where you discovered that part of yourself and yeah how, i wow. think i think so yeah. i think so that's what because you know really at that that age you're not really sure no you're learning and discovering a lot about yeah. who you are for so sure. i joined the church and and i uh i was at a a young enough age that I was eligible to go on a mission and I applied to go to a mission. And so it's this big, long process and you put all this paperwork together and you sign it and then you send it away to the the church in Utah. And then you wait and then you wait and you wait and then you get this big envelope and then you open it up and it tells you where you're going. Oh, wow. I'd been selected to go to Taipei, Taiwan. Wow. For my mission. And uh, again, with trepidation, I went... I went to the Missionary Training Center in Provo, Utah, and then I got to Taiwan, and things didn't fit. They didn't seem right. You mean as you, when I as got, you talk to people? No, or? when I got there. Oh, just like in arriving, yeah, you felt just something wasn't right. Oh, okay, and I didn't didn't really have an answer as to why that was. Were you there with a team or? So you go it? with a group of people. So you're so. You will train with eight to ten missionaries, and they'll all go to that location. Okay, right. So I got there, and things didn't feel right, and I really wanted to experience it, and I just couldn't. And 
this is about the time my grandfather was really ill and I wanted to go back home and see him. So I basically just said, I need to go home. So I flew back within a week. Okay. Like that was just the end. I couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I get back and I have a little bit of time with my grandfather. I get to spend time with him and he passes away. And I, I love my grandfather. He was, in my opinion, he was the glue that held my family together. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents had already separated and already on the road to remarrying and stuff like that. And then um, I started going back to church and then there was like, well, you're going to have to pay back this money for flying back. I'm like, uh, well, I don't have a job. I know how I'm going to do it. You know, I, I don't know what's going to go on. And then uh, I talked to, so at, that, at, the, at the city level, at the, they call them bishops okay. for, that, for that organization. And I spoke to him and told him how I was feeling about what was going on. He said, well, we'd work something out. Made me feel a lot better about it. And then I guess a couple Sundays passed and then everyone knew my story. And I was like, how is this possible? I shared this with only one person. Mm. How is this possible? So I think he, I guess, and I don't know, I guess he had shared it with his wife looking for counsel, which I totally, I think is appropriate. Like, I mean, if you have a, a pastor or, or whatever and he needs some sort of idea on, on counsel, I have no problem with him sharing that with his wife, but I don't want his wife sharing it amongst the rest of the company. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I left the church. Okay. And it left a really bad, bad, bad taste in my mouth about organizing. Well, yeah, especially going from like a first experience or or a fresh new experience of, of family and community and yeah. then to go through something challenging and going and feeling uncomfortable and and then coming back and having that community I, I think the best way to change prob- very dramatically for you or your experience there. Yeah. I think the best way is betrayal. Like it's, I felt betrayed. Like someone yeah. took something that I shared with them directly and they inadvertently shared it to someone who was not capable of keeping that, yeah, you know, secret or, or close to people that mattered or were important in it. So mm-hmm. I just, I just walked away from it. Mm-hmm. You know? So what assumptions or beliefs did that kind of result in for you towards organized religion or or faith or god um you know i i think a lot of it was mistrust Mm. you know there's a lot of mistrust and then you start asking questions well if that guy is supposed to have a closer connection to god because he's in that role how could he have done this to me why did he share um this information with other people so that's where the betrayal sort of came in and then the mistrust and then then the question is of was did i really know what god was or who he was what was going on and i don't want to portray any religion poorly or anything but you know i think each religion certainly has their different concept of what they believe and beliefs and i started questioning those too because there's a lot of differences between you know true mormonism and and christianity right mm-hmm. they call themselves a christian church and that's what they do and that's that's their choice but i started questioning a lot of the things they did right so um for me at that point it was just like if this is what organized religion is uh, waiter, check please. I'm out. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And I think that that's a fair reaction to 
to hurt like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then what what happened for you? Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like it's going to be really happy. <laughs> um, I was happy for me. Yeah. I had no connection with God. I had no, I didn't care. Um, I slept with anything and anyone I wanted to. Like, I don't, I, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, like there was no, there was no, there was no guiding principle in my life. I could do whatever I want because yeah. I was the only one in what charge of my say, life. What would you say drove you at that time? Like, was it just like, I don't know, relaxation? Was it just happiness? I don't think it was a feeling. I think, hmm. I think honestly, it was more like I can do whatever I want and I don't care, so hmm. I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want. So it was just you. Yeah, it was just me controlling everything. Yeah. Right? You know, and that's what it was. I mean, um, I, uh, I, I bounced from job to job to job just doing ridiculous stuff, not doing anything. Went back into security, went to nightclubs. That was a super good choice. <laughs> Going back to my first statement about doing whatever I want, yeah. whenever I wanted. Yeah. Um, I I drank to excess. Um, I I was my own person. I could do whatever I want. There was there was nothing going on. Um, and this lasted for a long time. And I had a, a different couple girlfriends going through all this time period and that sort of thing. And um, then. One night, I was doing some hospice work because I started a, a side business for myself where, oh, this is going to sound so horrible. Families would pay me to stay with their dying family members overnight so they could get some sleep. I don't think that sounds horrible. To try and, you know, reconcile the fact that this family member was going to die in the hospital. And you don't want them to be alone. Yeah. Family doesn't want so to I would alone. I would literally get paid money to sit in a chair and watch movies all night. I don't. I don't think you were trying to do that. <laughs> I mean, that's what it ended no. up being. But I think that's actually yeah a really noble thing to do. Yeah, and 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 I enjoyed it. it was it was yeah, I enjoyed it, and and I think um, so. At the time, I was doing it for a girlfriend's family. Um, we weren't in the greatest of position. We didn't see each other much because I was working a lot and that sort of thing. And uh, I met I met a nurse who had just gone through divorce or was going through the process of divorce, separated. And we talked a bit. We had a good chat. One of the guys went out and got McDonald's for everyone and brought back. They asked me if I want, I paid them. Got yep. McDonald's, sat with them and, and got to know this girl. And we chatted for a bit. And she seemed interesting, and we talked for a lot. Then I went back in the room and made sure everything was okay. And then morning came, the family let me go, and I went. And I was kicking myself in the head for not asking this this nurse for her number because <laughs> I had already sort of made a decision that things with my current girlfriend weren't going anywhere, so I decided, you know, that's the end. Then, you know, four or five, six months passes, and I'm working at one of the nightclubs as a bouncer. Um, and this girl walks back in, the one that I met at the hospital. Whoa. And I'm like, oh, wow. Finally asked her for her number. We started dating, started hanging out. And that woman ended up, was going to be my wife 
as we continue through this process. Yeah. So um, we started dating, started hanging out a lot. I spent a lot of time with her. I met her children. We were not going to church at this time. So, I mean, I love using this term because it's funny. We were living in sin. <laughs> I, I love that term. I, I laugh every time I hear someone say it because it's so like 1960s. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. two are living in sin. You need to make... I can just, I can just that hear. That voice was perfect. I can just hear the, I can just hear my grandmother. <laughs> you two should just get married and make sure you're not. And my parents and grandparents were not religious at all, but I can hear my grandmother. Yeah. From beyond right now saying that in my, <laughs> my head. <clears throat> but that's what I always go back to. So, uh, so, um, this woman uh, that, that I would eventually marry, uh, started meeting people from the church that you and I met at, and this woman uh, came to me, my girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, soon-to-be wife, and uh, she met some people from Guelph Bible Chapel because their kids swam with her kids, and I was a stepdad and all that fun stuff, yeah. so she said, I think I really want to start going to church. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it, so it had been like lot, many years since you're, how long would it have been since you? 22. Had, 22 years. 22 years. Okay. Oh, sorry, 21, 21. Okay. So yeah. it had been 21 years since your last experience with yeah. organized religion. And now your partner yeah. is saying, hey, I think I want to do this. Yeah. So what's the emotional reaction? I mean, I just saw a little bit of it on your on your face there, but if you could put it into words. Yeah, so at first I was like, oh man, I don't wanna do this. <laughs> and I think I don't wanna do this because uh, I had such a craptastic experience with my, <laughs> I'm yeah. trying not to curse, <laughs> I apologize. So no. um, I had this, amazingly craptastic experience with my last foray into organized religion. I'm like, yeah. oh. Yeah. So I started going, and at first it was like. Where, why, why did you start going? Where, where did that willingness come from? Was it just. I want to do something for her. Okay. I thought, you know, if, if this is what she wants and we're going to build on a relationship, then, huh, you know. <laughs> And, and, and I'm, I'm compromise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's that's how relationships work. Yep. Yeah. So um, I wanted to compromise. I wanted to. I wanted to. You know, do something for her. Um, we, the pastor. He's just an awesome dude. Like he just things. When he talks to me, sometimes things just click and it makes sense. So um, I started going, and I enjoyed it. And then uh, the music was really good. It wasn't all like that. Like sad and you know morose music that you used to sing in church I mean it was a sort of more an upbeat feeling I really enjoyed it and then I think what really clicked for me was youth ministry hmm. and that's where you and I started becoming yeah. really good friends because we did that uh, uh, VBS yeah. camp through the church and oh wow this will be my ninth year doing it coming up so oh wow yeah yeah, I have, yeah. I have the t-shirt for each one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've been doing it longer than I have because it took me a while to get into it. Just with my job, I'd be away for the summer. Uh -huh. and, um, but yeah, I've been, I think five years yeah. now-ish. I think it's eight or nine for me. Yeah. And then, I mean, 
a lot of the younger kids won't be listening to this, but one of the best parts that I do with the camp is uh, the pastor and I dress up as these characters. And, it's hilarious. And we have a good time. I'm excited every year for it. What clicked for you with, in terms of like getting involved in Oasis and enjoying church, what, what clicked? I think really what it was for for the the youth ministry in Oasis and getting into church is hanging out with those kids every year really made me remember what it was like to be a kid. Hmm. You know what I mean? So cuz I still think that and I'm trying to like put like a, a sort of simile to it to to give you an idea but I think uh every year at Oasis I turn into a 5-year-old <laughs> <laughs> cuz I I just I just want to I just want to eat it all up and, yeah. and let these kids, you know, feel what I feel about the situation and that sort of thing. And a lot of the kids um, at that camp in particular are coming from really crappy situations. So a lot of them are sponsored by the church to come. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of their, that's why it's called Oasis, because it's a chance to get away from what they're living through day to day and have that escape for a week. So I think even relating to them in in that way in the Oasis experience. So when you're there as long as I've been now and you see some of the same kids and they come up to you and they give you a big hug when they see you, oh, Leader Jeremy, I missed you so much. And I go, why? He goes, oh, this is my favorite week of the year. And I go, really? What about Christmas? And they go, we don't do Christmas at home. And I'm like, oh. And then I just like, you try not to react to it, but you just start crying on the inside like how can a kid not experience Christmas so I try to make this week the best week of their lives and I I enjoy doing it so when I first started I was just like a group leader and I was like "Uh, that's okay I don't mind doing it and then I went to group leader for half the day and then games leader and then something happened to one of the higher ups in the hierarchy of the of the of the group and uh, he's an awesome dude and he got sick and he wasn't able to come back so I took over the games mm-hmm. and I took over the games with my fiance for one year and then it was my wife the next year mm-hmm. and um, it was great like I really enjoyed it and I had a really good time and I think my favorite one was watching you have a frozen t-shirt put on your body after <laughs> they smashed against a tree I have a good time doing it so yeah so I think what it was for me was the 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 youth ministry it really clicked for me I really enjoy it and I think um, like I said to give myself a um, a simile and that sort of thing is like I think with my progression with God I'm probably maybe about a step ahead of most of these kids hmm. at 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 camp like I have a little bit more but I'm I'm still on that same path to try mm-hmm. and figure out my relationship with God and mm-hmm. these kids are just starting out yeah so I think that's why it really clicks with me yeah. because I feel like we're on the same path together I'm just maybe a few steps ahead of them yeah does that yeah, yeah, totally. What um, I'm curious to know what the difference was, I guess. Like what made your experience at, at GBC and Oasis and with religion and in that context different from what you had had um, before the 20, 21 years prior? What did you discover about God that was different? Well, first it was the trust issue. Right, I I had to feel comfortable with whoever the the hierarchy of that church was, and the community and the again. Community, right? right, that would be huge for you. Um, you know, and let's be honest: in any church community you get into, you're going to get gossip. Yeah, it, it just it's people. It's people, right? Yeah. You can't control that. But 
with this community and the hierarchy in the church and the, the, the elders and the pastor, nothing leaves that group. Yeah. Like it's very, it's very it's tight adult. knit. Yeah. And they are very comfortable with not sharing anything with anyone. So they had to gain my trust first, which was huge. Yeah. Um, the people at church, they are just the most loving people in the world. Like, uh, they, they're just awesome. There, there, there isn't too many people that don't like talking to at church. They're just really good people. They're all, you know, as a pastor, they're all brokenhearted, just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I guess mm -hmm. it's the best. And you know, it's like a, it's a good community that just supports each other, which mm -hmm. I think is amazing. So that's that's what it was there. Um, my relationship with God. Hmm. Well, I was starting from zero. Yeah. So I had to start all over yeah. again. So I started reading scripture again and that sort of thing, and I started listening to the message and that sort of thing. And those messages, a lot of times when I went when I was at church, because I, I have a weird schedule, so I wasn't able to be at church yep. every Sunday. Every time I went to church, the message meant something. Like it just it hit something deep and and at the very core and fiber of my being. So it made sense. So that's so that took a lot of time. And then I met this girl at church and she was all about making sure I got baptized right away. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. The pushy one. That's okay. Um, chased and hounded. And it's okay. And, and I mean, I, I think. I promise it was from a place of love. <laughs> I, and I know that. And, and we can yeah. talk about that. And yeah. it's, it's super fun to talk about that. And, you know, I looked at, I, lo I looked at if I was going to get baptized, it was going to be on my terms because it's not like I was I was borrowing a hundred bucks off God and I was gonna pay him back 115 yeah. bucks. Like I was going into a deeper relationship and, and what I believe to be a covenant with God when I went into that. So I took my time and, and I did get baptized. Yeah, I, I remember. <clears throat> I was there. It was a big moment. Yeah, it was huge. You. Yeah. And it was a great moment. Yeah. Um they just got the water heater fixed, so I was the first one <laughs> so to have hot water. So it wasn't ice cold. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was it was a big moment, and mm -hmm. it's it's weird because you like my previous iteration was just like you know one and done. Let's get you dealt with. Like there's no this one. You had to share your testimony mm -hmm. with with people before you went through it, and it was it was a big deal for me. It was important, and I I really. And everyone knew who I was and they knew how social I was. So it wasn't, so it was, I thought, I mean, it was important to me and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed sharing my testimony. And it was a big like family moment it was. for the church. Like, <laughs> it was. Because you're so sociable and like everybody knows you and had, had been a part of your story in some way. Um, so I think it was just like, it was a big celebration. So would you say that was kind of, the peak, yeah, the peak for you in in terms of faith and, and relationship with God or experience yeah. with God, and then it all sort of went downhill from there. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? Um, I guess my relationship with my wife uh, started to degrade. Um, I moved. I got promoted, which was a great deal. It was more money, more opportunity, which meant I was driving to Toronto every day, Monday to Friday. My days were 16, 17, 18 hour days. I get calls around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week because I was a security manager. So I was managing, you know, 300 plus employees in the Toronto area. Um, I'd get called in all the time, that sort of thing. And, 
and we knew as a couple what I was getting into, but we didn't realize that it was going to be this bad. Because the unfortunate part about the security industry now is it seems to get a lot of unskilled laborers. So there's a lot of questions, a lot of issues that happen, and there's a lot of a lot of of things that need to be fixed. So I was spending... Lots of managing. Yeah, yeah, lots of managing. It was just, it was tough. Um, I probably wasn't the best husband. I probably wasn't the best stepdad. Uh, there are some things that I wish I could take back that I did. Um, I'm not going to go into them in detail, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, there's one thing that's, that's pretty heinous, and uh, I just... It's one of those things that I'll live the rest of my life. But uh, so Christmas Day for us would have been December 23rd because um, my ex-wife was a nurse and Santa Claus makes special trips for nurses <laughs> because, you know, it's, uh, it's what happens, right? And something happened Christmas Day and I lost my gourd. Like I just, I went nuts. I got told to leave the house um, and I did. And um, I wasn't basically allowed back in the house. And then uh, I stayed at my brother's on the couch for a couple of nights because I wasn't allowed back home. I had figured that at this point there was no coming back from what had happened. And um, so Christmas Day, I knew that my wife was at work. So I told my brother I was going to go spend some time at the house with the dogs because I missed the dogs and I just needed some time to myself. Um, unbeknownst to my brother, I was planning on killing myself on Christmas Day and leaving my ex-wife with a mess in the house. And... I think this is this is where God sort of acts in different ways without us really understanding it. My sister-in-law, who was like 10 months pregnant, came back to us and goes, where's Jeremy? And my brother said, oh, he went back to the house. He's just going to go spend some time with dogs and say goodbye to him. And she is in social work. She's a mental health worker. And she said, goes, you need to go get him. He's going to kill himself. And she knew. Like she knew. She, had, she was somehow able to put all the based on what I had said, she was able to put the numbers together and go, he's gonna end it, you need to get over there. Just as I was about to uh, uh, take my own life, my brother came in the door and saw me when I saw what I was doing because I forgot and left the door unlocked. Another one of those God working in mysterious ways things, and I know it's it may be far fetched, but that's that's what I put it at because it's the yeah. only it's the only way I can explain it because yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. Because if I was really planning on doing it, I would have made those steps predominantly and be careful about what I was planning on doing. And uh, my brother saw it and he ran into the room and he pretty much choked me out to black me out because 
um, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm like 260 pounds. I'm not, I'm not like muscular or anything, but I'm, I've got a yeah. lot of strength to me. Right. Yeah. And, uh, the next thing I remember is my brother sitting on my chest, uh, and he was almost in tears. Uh, and he says, you're not going to do this. I'm not going to let you do this. We're going to get you some help. So, um, at this point, the police had been dispatched to the house. My brother put me in the van, tied me up with a skipping rope in his front seat in this white minivan. And he said, I'm taking you to the hospital. Like he, I go, you can't take me to the hospital. He goes, why? Because my ex-wife works. Well, my wife at the time works there and, and everyone knows me there. You can't do it. He goes, all right. So he drove me to Fergus and I get to Fergus and they check me in. I'm just sitting, sitting there shaking like trying not to put myself in the fetal position. They call my name. My brother literally picks me up by the waist and walks me in, sits me down in the chair in front of the, the triage nurse and puts his hand on me and he goes, go ahead, tell her. I'm like, I can't. And he goes, Jeremy, tell her. And then she puts her hand on my lap, the nurse, and I don't even know her from, and I tell her everything and I just start bawling and I said, I just tried to kill myself because I think my marriage is over and I can't go back to the house. and. And she took both my hands and, and just said, we're going to get you the help you need. So um, they put me in one of the special rooms at the Fergus Hospital. And by that, I mean there's no light switches. There's no nothing. It's a flat bed. It's a door that seals shut. Like, it doesn't close. It rolls shut, and it has, like, a locking mechanism from the outside. So it's, it's a mental health room is the best yeah. way to put it without sounding, you know. Yeah ridiculous and I wait a bit my dad shows up the police show up they want to make sure I'm okay and that sort of thing and then finally a mental health nurse comes in and doctor comes in and they want to form me which is a process where I lose all my rights and the hospital takes ownership for my well-being and my brother turned to the doctor and said that's not gonna happen because what because there's no way he's spending the Christmas holidays in this room by himself to think more about why he hates himself more and wanted to do this in the first place. So the doctor, miraculously, which is unheard of, lets my brother take me home, prescribes me medication. My brother takes my medication and puts it in his pocket and goes, I'm going to take care of you. So the, for the first couple of days, my brother come down and like open up pill bottles and go, here's your medication. And he'd sit there and make sure I take like not hide under my tongue or anything. And um, I was super vulnerable. Like uh, it was nice to know that I had someone. Yeah. And uh, and again, you know, God working in mysterious ways, right? So uh, you know, it was tough. Like it was, it was tough. And then um, it got worse from there because I started trying to get, you know, counseling to try and make things better, like fix the things that I could fix to, to make sure that my marriage was still going to work. And uh, I went back to work after taking a week off. I told my boss what's going on. I was take a week off, come back, just take care of your payroll from home, just relax. I need you focused on what you need to do, and we'll take care of everything. And I'm like, okay. On the uh, 23rd of January, a month later, um, I was in a I was in a huge business meeting with um, with my my boss in Toronto and two coworkers and I get a text message on my phone and it's from my ex my my now separated wife because we've been separated for a bit 
and uh, it says, uh, "I just want to let you know that I'm 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 in a relationship with your best friend," and I'm like. And I just start tearing up and I left my phone and I said, Steve, I'll be right, oh, my boss, Steve, said, I'll be right back, I just need to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom and he picks up the phone and reads the message. And uh, I come back to the table and he goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. He goes, he said, are you okay? I read your phone. Cause you know, it was just, it was still yeah. unlocked. And he goes, no, I'm not okay. He goes, take the rest of the day off, go home. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a home. I'm, I'm living on a couch. I don't have anywhere to go. Uh, so that day I went back to the office after the meeting. And I think I sat in my office and uh, I sat there all night. Hmm. Like just sat in my office. I was yeah. still in the same clothes and my boss came in and he was like, did you go home last night? I'm like, I don't, I don't have a home. I don't, I didn't know what to do. Uh, so he gave me two weeks leave, paid, which was awesome of him. I was staying at my brother's place. Um, I get a call from a, a, a really good friend who is an employee of mine at the time. And he goes, I heard what happened. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, how are you doing? I'm like, right now I'm just reeling from everything. I don't have yeah. answers. I can't, I can't figure out what's going on. And... Um, he goes, uh, what are you do about living? And he goes, I haven't found out what I'm going to do or anything. He goes, uh, well, I have an apartment. There's an empty room. Come live with me. And I'm like, I can't do that. He goes, no, you're going to come live with me because I went through the same thing you did 10 years ago and you're going to do the same thing that I'm going to do. You're going to come live with me. You can have the big room and just live in the apartment with me. And it worked out great. Um, to this day, we're still really good friends. He's an awesome dude. He is um, now moved out of the apartment. Uh, he's remarried, lovely lady, love her to death. I think she's awesome. Um, he waited 15 years to get remarried. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait 15 <laughs> years. I'm like thinking about that, you know. Yeah. But, you know, there's part of me that's still not ready for anything. So, sure. I mean, at, at this point as we sit today, the divorce finalized. It's done. It's over. I have no ties anymore. I'm trying to move ahead. Um, my relationship with God is certainly very different than it was now. Uh, yeah. Can you, um, I mean, you've, you were put through the ringer, like baptized peak of your relationship with God. That would have been two, three, maybe three years ago. Everything's good. Mm -hmm. And you've made this commitment, you took baptism very seriously as you committing to following God and giving him your life and then go through what sounds like the most traumatic experience I, I mean, for of me, your life. For me it was, like I mean, yeah, for me it was. For and sure. I mean, you know, I, uh, I think I've gone through stages with, with my relationship with God. At first, I was like, uh, and I feel horrible by saying this, but I just, I mean, I felt kind of like, I call it the Gethsemane, the process, the why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Um, and and please don't, I'm not relating myself to Jesus in any way, shape, or form. No, but. But that's, that's the way I felt. Like, why, why are you doing this to me? What, what? What did I do to deserve this? Why am I going through this process? 
And then I went through the, I absolutely hate you, God. What did I do to deserve this? Like, show me, give me answers and that sort of thing. And then I went through the feeling sorry for myself and asking God to fix this all and make it all better. And a lot of my journey with God now is is understanding that, and, and I'm really good with that whole plan. Like I'm really good with knowing that God has a plan for me. He's, he's, he's 100% there. I'm good with that. That's the part I'm really good with. The part I'm not good with is, uh, you know, if you have this great plan for me, why are you not giving it to me? Like, I want to see it. Like, I really want to see it. I want to know what's going on. I need to figure it all out. And I really need more help than you're giving me right now. So can you just help me out? And um, the, the part that I'm really wrestling with is the understanding that even though God has a plan for each and every one of us, and I truly believe that, um, it's that he has absolutely no control over what people choose to do in their lives. So although that plan is set out for us, um, if someone else throws a wrench in that plan, there's another pathway for that plan to continue. You just don't, you don't see it. I, I really believe that. And it's, mm -hmm. and that's a hard thing for a lot of people to, to really grasp. I'm totally good with that. I know there's a plan. I believe he's sovereign. He's, you know, he's there for us. And, and I believe that. It just, in times like these, um, life sucks, you know? And I think it's okay to be angry with God sometimes. I really do. I really do. And I think because I think he really gets it. It's, it's totally okay. It's, it's totally okay to disagree with God sometimes because I, I think, you know, like he's just like the uber parent that we have. You know what I mean? Like he's the, and it's like, he can just take it all. He can just take it all and he's cool with it because he knows, he knows. My relationship with God right now isn't super hot. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I try. Um, luckily I have a little bit of an excuse like work really requires me to be at work on Sundays early enough. So sometimes I use that as an excuse not to go to church. Um, it's, it's not great. Um, but it's not that I'm not trying and I think it's just going to take a little bit more time and it has nothing to do with the people that I go to church with or the pastor or the community. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about how, um, I guess how you experienced everything you went through with your church, church family. Yeah. Uh, they're a bloody rock. <laughs> Every single one of them is a rock. Like they have been the joy and the compassion that they've, they've given me and afforded to me. They haven't really pushed me anywhere that I didn't want to go. They haven't really asked me too many questions. They haven't really got in my face about anything, but whenever I needed anything, I could always ask and it would never go unturned. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it was never, never an issue, which was great. And, and I needed that. 
Um, <clears throat> my family has been really great too, like my personal family, but they don't get the spiritual side of things. And that's cool, right? Like I needed certain things they provided and, um, but like my church family has been awesome. Like it's just the outpour of love, like unconditional love you get from them was, was pretty awesome. Um, the challenge is, is there's not too many, like everyone pretty much knows what happened now. Um, you know, uh, whether it's true or not or not, it's, it's all I can go on. I believe that my, my now ex-wife was in an adulterous relationship for how long, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that. Um, obviously something I did or something we did didn't work out and we needed to fix it and it didn't work out and decisions were made by people for not trying to fix it. My biggest challenge was um, really reconciling with uh, with God about, you know, when was it enough? When did I have to stop trying? And, you know, it took it took a while for for me to put it all together and, and for for the pastor um, to really say, listen, from what I've read and what I understand at this point, your your covenant is still your covenant. But it is, you know, cut and dry. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's been severed. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as <clears throat> as far as he was concerned, the pastor was concerned that I was a good and faithful servant. I I followed my covenant, and the covenant's now been severed. So I'm safe to move forward now. Um, according to you know government, I am now divorced and everything, and uh, um, you know I'm. I'm where I need to be. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how your experience with God or understanding of God has been impacted by what you've been through? Yeah. So let's, let's go back to, you know, my baptism, my pinnacle of my relationship with God, where I thought everything was great. Um, I, I enjoyed doing devotionals with, with my ex-wife, we'd talk about it. We'd, we'd do things. It was, it was nice. It was great. It was, it felt like it was perfect. And, um, uh, you know, now it's, it's tough cause it's not perfect. Um, the questions that I have for God, why am I being punished? Um, what did I do that was so wrong? When can I be forgiven? When can I move on with my life? Um, why are you not giving me answers? Mm. All right. So those are, those are pretty broad based questions. Um, you know, and then we have to go back to the whole thing that, you know, you know, God's not responsible for what people do down here. You know, like, the, you know, he has no control over, you know, free will. And that's, that's the toughest part. Like we're not, we're not robots. We follow, mm -hmm. we follow what we're going to do, however we're going to do. Um, I, I certainly don't think I'm being punished anymore. Um, I certainly do believe that I, I, I did something wrong and I want to know what I did wrong to make things 
as poor as they turned out. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot further away from God than I was before this all went down and just getting in my head and my heart that this is, this is the plan and we need to move forward is really the toughest part. Mm. Like it is. And, uh, yeah, my relationship with God is not great right now. Yeah. Um, do I want to get better? I think so. Mm. I don't have that huge yearning belief that it's going to, but I want it to get better. Mm. But I, I kind of need some answers. Yeah. And the answers are. Is that what you think it would take to. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I th- but the answers aren't coming. And, or, They've already shown up, and I'm just too blind to see them, hmm. which is which is quite possible. Yeah. It could come because it's not like, and and you know we can joke around about this. It's not like God takes out like 20 inch symbols and starts bashing them in front of your ear when he's trying to to let you know something. Yeah, it's small, little, still indi- small voice. Yeah, yeah, it's small indicators. So I think I think that's the hardest part. I don't think I'm I don't think I'm attuned to seeing those small. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think it's because you're not? You're not looking, or you're not ready to to see them. Like I know, I just ref, like relating to mm-hmm. you. Um, a big where I'm at right now is struggling to trust God again in the way that I did before going through the challenges that I've been through, and not like knowing that that's what it would take to get back to that place, but also being very hesitant to want to get there it's this weird like i want it but i don't you know when you say that it sort of brings it another thought for mm. me and um i think what i'm doing is i'm transferring my feelings of tru- of mistrust and betrayal to god as opposed to the people that yeah. did the things to me mm-hmm. so i feel like god has betrayed me and i feel like i now mistrust god and uh that's really hard because it's it's hard to relay those feelings to someone you you really don't know is there, but you mm-hmm. feel is there. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I was, if you, if I mistrusted you, it'd be really easy to target to it, target and, and even feelings. fix it, right? Yeah. Like reconcile. Yeah, yeah, because if if I didn't trust you, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this conversation no, right now, right? Probably not. So, and if you betrayed me in some way, I, I wouldn't even want to talk to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's really hard to put those feelings. So I. I <clears throat> I need some answers, and mm-hmm. and whether I'm going to get them anytime soon or not, I, I think it's probably up to me. I think I need mm. to I need to somehow figure out how to transfer those feelings back to wherever they need to be, mm. and just move on. Mm. But that's the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Hmm. But you mentioned that you have uh, you hope things will get better. Yeah. Not sure that they will, but you have a hope and yeah. a desire. Yeah. I do for it to get there. Yeah, and I and I'm in a similar spot. I think that the challenge is like, but what does that look like? What is it going to look like? Yeah, where will we land after going through the toughest thing in our lives? Right? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I think um, I'm just trying to word it because I, I really want it to be honest and 
life is just so damn messy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you want to sit and watch some of these like fairy tale movies about love stories or people becoming millionaires and stuff like that. Um, that's, that's fiction and make believe it doesn't, it doesn't happen as, as often or as, as, as normal as, as it does appear in those movies. And I think, I think it's important to know that, you know, life's messy. And for me, and I, and I think I want everyone to understand this, that, you know, I think it's okay to be angry at God. I think it's okay to not know what God wants for you. I think it's okay to have those feelings. But I also think it's important to know that I really believe that he loves each and every one of us. And, and I think that's pretty evident in the fact that I'm still here today to have this conversation yeah. with you because that could have turned very sour very quickly. I think when you go through life, you can't always be looking for the big wins. You need to take the small wins too. Mm. You know what I mean? Because the small wins, although it takes about like 375,000 to equal a big win, <laughs> they're just as important. Mm. Life is messy. Life is messy. And it's There's not, lots of gray. Yeah. And yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, it's, it's okay to have whatever feelings you want towards God, but I, I just, I really know like deep down inside of me and I don't have this answer and I wish I did. I just, I know he loves each and every one of us mm. and you just got to hold fast. Yeah. Jared, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing so openly. Um, I know this stuff is it's still pretty fresh and to watch you journey through it authentically and honestly, I think is gonna be huge for our listeners. And just saying, even just that tagline ending, life is messy, it's okay to be angry at God, it's okay to be where you're at and, and figure it out and ask those questions. So thanks for giving them someone to relate to um, and to hear from. Uh, thanks for having me. It was it was awesome. I really had to, a good time doing this. So I'm really happy I did this. So thank you. Today we covered a topic that might have brought up some questions, memories, or thoughts that you might want to talk about but maybe you don't have anyone to talk with. Mentors are here to listen. At tmm.io, mentors are ready to support you as you ask the hard questions, process different life experiences, and what it all means to you. In all of these conversations, your information will be kept confidential. You can share as little or as much as you would like with them. To connect with a mentor, go to p2c.sh slash talk to someone and fill out a simple form there. That's p2c.sh slash talk to someone. Your questions are welcome. Let's approach it together.
So this is the part of the podcast where we process what we have heard, where we get to ask the questions that are lingering or share about how we related and just how the story landed on us. And joining me for this processing time are my friends and co-workers, Caroline and Laura. Caroline is our producer. Hey, Caroline. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. And Laura, who is our audio tech Hey, Laura. Hello. I can't think of a creative way to say hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hello will do. That's that's fine. (laughs) Hola. Bonjour. So we're hanging out to talk a little bit and process um, what we heard from my friend Jer, who is on the podcast today. Um, You guys were here as he shared pretty vulnerably about what he's been through. Um, Kind of his whole life story, but mostly focusing on the last few years. Um, so initial thoughts or responses from you guys, um, Caroline, do you have any first reactions or what you, um, I think I was just impressed with how willing he was to be vulnerable in Mm. sharing those details of his life. Um, you told me a little bit beforehand, but I didn't know the full impact of it until we actually stepped into the recording room to hear his story and. Yeah, I I think there was moments where I was crying a little bit on the side, much to my shame. No, it's fully, no, it's all. totally fine to embrace my tears. But yeah. yeah, there was parts where I was a little teared up, and I I just really appreciate his willingness to be vulnerable and sharing the joys and then the hardships and the doubts as well that came with just his whole story. I can't imagine just where he is in his headspace. Well, I mean, we can know a little bit more now after listening to his interview, but yeah, it's, I have no words. Maybe Laura has words, I don't know. I also have no words, honestly. (laughs) I feel like I'm like the listeners. I came in with zero knowledge. I didn't even know his name when I walked in. (laughs) Oh, good, good. Good, good. Um, I'm gonna do better with that. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, wow, like, he has been through it. Mm-hmm. Like he has gone through the ringers and yeah, just to hear that he is still optimistic, he still has avenues to find joy in his life. Like I like board games, but not as much as he likes board he games. He loves board games. But he loves board games yeah. and he can still find a community and find friendship and mm-hmm. acceptance mm-hmm. in that, even though he's been through so much. And specifically so much like relationally yeah. being burned by by people and really hurt by the decisions and actions of other people. Like uh, of all the people I know, he would kind of be close to the top of the list of people who would be entitled to pull back and sure. pull away from community and relationship and connection. But he's actually done the opposite. Like he's totally mm-hmm. leaned in. Um, specifically with his his church family he talked about his family as well i think a theme that we're maybe starting to see or going to see as we keep hearing stories like this um, is how important those connections are those relationships are in like bringing people in at the lowest points um the hardest points where yeah like i said the temptation would be to just do it alone, be quiet about it, just suffer. Um, I think in Jer's story, we see again the importance of reaching out in those low moments and hoping that there are gonna be people that respond 
the way that they did to Jer, like really mm-hmm. lovingly understanding. Not he talked about his church family not like pushing, but mm-hmm. as soon as he came and and asked for help in whatever his needs actually were, like there was space. He, one, he felt welcome to ask for that kind of help, and two, he received it really quickly. Um, so not just being in relationship, but being in relationship with the right kind of people that, um, yeah, aren't going to jump in and try to to fix everything, but are going to listen and help and serve and love you the way that you kind of need it mm-hmm. when you're in that place of, of um, intense pain and yeah. hurt. Yeah, yeah, I actually think about, like, it's interesting my church is talking about this whole idea of, like, building fires and doing that relationally and like one of my my pastor said recently in his like sermon like sometimes you just need to stand by someone else's fire Mm -hmm. and I think that's so descriptive of I think in all of these circumstances it's like most of these people that we're encountering and myself included like are in a season of just needing to stand by someone else's Mm -hmm. fire and to keep warm because you're barely holding on and the fact that like Jared's church was just so willing to just be and to love and to walk with him and to pick him up time and time again mm-hmm. um, and to just carry him in mm-hmm. circumstances that he could not go on himself is just such a good model of what church like the body of church is yeah. supposed to be like and I think that just that makes me tear up yeah and especially around the, the topic I guess of marriage like mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have had churches respond very differently to a broken marriage mm-hmm. um, or to hurt in the context of of marriage of just oh stick it out or or whatever whatever the response is or even churches where when someone goes through this they don't feel like they can even show up again um so yeah i i'm just aware i'm thinking of other friends that i have that have gone through this that divorce was actually the reason why they left church Mm -hmm. um and not because they wanted to but because they felt like they couldn't go back because of of that divorce or whatever they've experienced. So I think this, yeah, it's an opportunity to see like, not every church is like that. Um, Not every church has a community that's gonna respond negatively to a hurt like that. And I think it's just a good example of what church is supposed to be like. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can lose sight of that in our North American culture where sometimes it's become more of a business rather than a community, a body of people working towards Christ together that mm-hmm. instead there is there's so many stories of I think lack of hope and of um, brokenness and rather Jared's story is a really beautiful story of reconciliation and and bringing hope mm-hmm. to a situation that could have easily gone in a very different direction mm-hmm. and I think like one of the things that's super encouraging to me about the story and how the church played a part of it was just how the kid ministry played a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> how the kids came alongside Jared. Like, I'm certain the kids did not know the extent. No, they didn't. No, at all at Vacation Bible School of what was going on in his life. No. Like, they looked up to him, and they looked forward to this week where, like, Christmas meant nothing to them. But, yeah. like, but Oasis was everything. Oasis. <laughs> it was yeah. where they had fun, and, yeah. and they could enjoy each other's company and, and look up to, like, role models and and people in leadership over them and just how yeah like god used all these children that like he had been pouring into for years to then when he was going through it for them to pour into him Mm -hmm. that he would get that innocence back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one thing i really respected about jer was like he could have easily faked it 
Like it's just a week, oh, yeah. right? You can fake mm. joy, you can fake hope, you can fake how great, how sure you are about how much God loves you or whatever. You can fake anything for a week, I think. My church calls that enthusiasm. Yeah. Fake enthusiasm, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, you can do it for a week. Jared didn't do that though. He, no, he didn't share the nitty gritty details or anything like that. But he was open about the fact that his life was not a walk in the park at that time or that he was struggling and was going through stuff. And I think that's what God really used to build that kind of trust between the kids who are have all got their own baggage and stuff that they're going through and relating to this adult that they know and love and respect and have gotten to know over the over the years. So And I think that just shows that God uses different avenues of healing. Because mm-hmm. um, I can imagine, like, maybe Jer wasn't, you know, full throttle, let's read my Bible every day, prayer, but the fact that he's still showing up, still pursuing that community, um, that God can still use that as an mm-hmm. avenue of healing and mm-hmm. to show God's character through those kids and to, th- like, show his um relationship to Jer through those kids can be such a healing moment in that regard and I know people can pursue that in different ways like I know for me it was like baking or mm-hmm. um just continuing to show up yeah, I also do kids men so I I can totally relate in that regard of just seeing the childlike faith and innocence that can really just spark a fire in your own heart again and remember why you do what you do why you pursue God and so I just think it was really incredible to see how yeah, God used that avenue within Jer's life of healing, of just restoring um, and continuing to restore mm-hmm. um, Jer's relationship to community, to God, and just numerous other avenues as well, too. Mm-hmm. And I think the other theme that, um, or thing that I observed in, in Jer's story um, was kind of the timeline of things and how it happened afterwards. He shared about how how big a deal the decision to be baptized was for him, that all-in commitment, um, that like, God, here is my life, <laughs> all of it. Um, I think he very much felt that commitment happening in that moment of baptism, and and then to like we I think we said in the interview to see his life kind of fall apart mm-hmm. um, in some mm-hmm. key. Key so areas soon afterwards right? as well too. Yeah, the timing of it, um, and just like how he's processing that um, and making sense of that himself, and um, reconciling that with God. Like I just gave you my everything, and you just took it all away, um, leading to uh, that very dark moment that he shared with us um, in coming very close to taking his taking his own life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can see, I can see the, the prog- progression of events, I guess. Like it, it's not surprising that after making such a serious decision to give God his all and then have the most important part of his life taken away, that, um, that it would lead to a moment of desperation like that. Mm-hmm. I think there's not many times people make that decision and then so soon afterwards see the real impact of what it means yeah for a lot of people yeah. i think baptism is like this i'm Symbolic. gonna enjoy all the blessings of this commitment that i'm making to god and 
he will be faithful and I'm going to, it's yeah. going to be good. But you don't often in that moment, like I know for me when I was getting baptized, yeah. you're not like, and I'm ready for to all suffer. of the suffering and pain yeah. that will mm-hmm. come. Mm-hmm. Um, nope. And maybe that's to speak into the fact that we need to talk more about that. Talk more about yeah. that and to prepare like new Christians more in that regard. But I, yeah, the fact that Jer so soon afterwards was, had all of that happen and to have that moment of desperation as well too is it's a human condition and Mm -hmm. it's yeah i i'm sure many of us would have responded similarly um given those circumstances of pain Mm -hmm. um just speaking into the sphere of mental health as well too i think it's i don't want people to come out of this listening and see that we didn't touch on that or to kind of breeze over it, but I'd really encourage anyone who is going through that time, that season, or maybe it's a lifelong struggle to um, just reach out to a local counselor. Um, Lots of universities offer free counseling on campus. There's Good to Talk is another avenue, or even just a trusted friend, because I mean, Jerry's brother, oh my goodness, what a friend, what a compadre to have in your life too. And his sister-in-law. And his sister-in-law, my goodness. God bless yeah. all social workers around us. Mm-hmm. They are doing incredible work. Mm-hmm. They're trained so well. Ugh. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I drew from his story was just this like roller coaster of hope, you know, where he starts off uh, an average, just an average Joe, and then he finds the Mormon church and he seems like he's on this like upward climb of like, I my life has purpose, my life has meaning. And then yeah, things come crashing down and he feels betrayed and the people that he trusted and he looked to, um, they left him hanging out to dry. And so he plummets down this roller coaster and he, he looks to other things in his life for joy, for meaning, for purpose, for peace. And he really couldn't find that anywhere. And then to find um, this beautiful woman who was able to come alongside him and give his life uh, meaning again um, and to to be brought to Christianity through her nonetheless um, and just be able to find Jesus through all of that and and to reach this moment that was this peak in his life of baptism and I found Christ and my life has purpose. I'm going all in, giving God my all and my everything. And then to hit rock bottom again with all the events that come after that and, and to think, you know, life has no more meaning, life has no more purpose, that he doesn't want to be a part of it any longer but to know that that is not where the roller coaster needs to end hmm. that there is there is another bend there is hope there there's, there's continuation no, there's yeah. continuation mm-hmm. you know and it, it came through his brother and his sister-in-law coming to um, fight for him when he wasn't willing to fight for himself yeah very unexpectedly to to jeer yeah. yeah and even just the awareness to see that someone around you is hurting that is you know on the cusp and to not of hide or yeah, to not ignore, hide, to ignore or it <laughs> to mm-hmm. excuse it away but yeah. to actually take that moment of like literally risking <laughs> their own life to yeah. go and tackle jared down is just yeah i think that's, that's love that is love <laughs> yeah. that is christ-like love to risk it all and go and to be that friend that sibling that um protector as well too and a certainty in them about hope yes Mm -hmm. that 
there, like you said, Laura, that there could be a bend. So even though Jer didn't have it, yeah, it's, there were people around him that that did. It's and what Caroline brother, was saying with the, I just need to stand beside someone yeah, else's yeah. fire. Yeah. And the fact that his brother knew for sure, like, you are coming to stay with me. He was so certain of that hope that yeah. there is more and you're going to find it and we're going to do it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is like, oh, I'm crying just thinking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that it's just standing by that fire that the brother was just so certain. I have a fire here. There, This isn't an end for you. Yeah. You are going to come alongside my fire and I'm going to stick with you until you have your own fire and mm-hmm. it is healthy mm-hmm. and it's thriving and that you are able to be exactly who you need to be in order to complete the mission that God has for you. Yeah. Oh, I want to cry. That's good. Well, thanks ladies for joining me again uh, to talk about, yeah, a, a heavy hitting story, a hard story, but again, one that each of us found ways to relate to and, and find understanding. Um, and just knowing our friend Jer a little bit more. Thanks Thanks so much for having us, Wendy. Bye.